0: So what next? Potentially pivoting to new frontiers within the same city using the same logic, but as the best areas disappear, we just simply need to evolve. Welcome to the Urban Property Investor. I'm your host, Sam Saggers, here to help you crack the code of real estate wealth. Welcome to the show, everybody. I hope everyone is doing well wherever you're tuning in from. I tell you what, the real estate market's pretty bonkers at the moment, is it not? Seems like it's going up just about everywhere. And of course, that is great news if you own real estate lot tougher if you're out there buying. There's certainly a lack of stock and certainly so much demand. And of course, I think that is a cocktail of both opportunity, but also challenges. So I wanted today's show to reach out to people to help you future-proof what potentially you're doing when it comes to owning real estate. Even for people that perhaps own real estate and have owned it, For quite a long time, you might find some of the terminologies that I use today of interest potentially to trade up real estate, maybe move on some older real estate, have a look at some ideas around what is occurring in society and real estate so you can absolutely crack the code. Hey, if it's the first time you have tuned in listening, welcome aboard. We're a mad bunch, the Urban Property Investor Bunch. Uh, we tend to cover off some interesting topics around urbanity, transformation, and of course, real estate. If you're tuning in for the first time, I always recommend play me in one spe- 1.5 speed or 2 speed. Speed up your life. Uh, podcasts allow you to do that, don't they? So, hey, I think let's crack on to the show. We're going to talk about five pillars to be future ready When it comes to owning real estate, I think the transformation of society, the transformation of real estate is unfolding. And I want you to be across some of the terminology which will become more commonly used in real estate. So I thought today we should really go through some of the focal points of what will become very fashionable to talk about in real estate. And for me, probably the Biggest conversation piece in real estate, and I have talked about this on Ask Sam, is the idea of distributed urbanisation. Yes, this is a terminology for the future proofing of real estate. Round uh, Australia, we obviously have done a great job of containing the coronavirus for the most part, but what it has done is awakened society to a new way of working. And our cities are evolving to this wake-up call. And the new future of investment is very much around employment clusters, around what is known as distributed urbanisation. Now, for a very, very long time, Australian real estate has been centred around our CBD locations being, particularly in the inner and middle ring, the most impressive parts of the real estate marketplace. Over, really, the last 50 years, those areas and locations have skyrocketed in value. Distributed urbanisation is actually going to allow us property investors, which tend to buy fairly inexpensive real estate, to actually branch out and look at other parts of major cities for their investment potential. I think this is amazing, and I think a future trend is really understanding distributed urbanisation. Now, that is not to say real estate that is close to Sydney CBD in the inner ring, in the middle ring, is going to lose value, nor Brisbane nor Melbourne, nor any major metropolitan urban landscape? Absolutely not. In fact, one would argue uh, as a jobs cluster, CBDs will always be our biggest and therefore always command a big price. And of course, real estate in those highly expensive traditional blue ribbon uh, areas are going to Continue to go up in value. And if anything, coronavirus has taught us that people value location heavily, and some of the best locations are skyrocketing in value. So, what does it mean for us as a future trend if we can't buy in the best parts of Melbourne, in the best parts of Sydney, in the suburbs which are traditionally the best to locals in Brisbane, closer? to those inner and middle ring neighbourhoods. Well, it's interesting because we are now going through this idea of a redistribution of urbanisation. And it is not as far flung as it may seem. Today, we still have the opportunity to buy in really good 20-minute neighbourhoods. And those 20-minute neighbourhoods, if they're connected around employment clusters are going to continue to be very, very valuable. The CBD precinct and the inner suburbs included. But it is probably fair to say up uh, after this boom, we're going to wake up and, you know, buying within 7 to 10 kilometres of Melbourne is going to be very difficult. Buying 7 to 10 kilometres from Brisbane, very difficult. Sydney, it, it already is. It's virtually uh, a multi-million dollar market now. So what next? What happens to us property investors? Where do we go? Well, this is where we go into the format of distributed urbanization. In other words, we still buy in Melbourne. We just need to understand the different employment clusters around Melbourne and choose a more affordable marketplace. For example, Melbourne has various different uh, focal points of national employment As a cluster, it has the Latrobe precinct, Parkville, Monash, Dandenong, Werribee, Sunshine. All of these areas are are fundamentally areas where lots of jobs are earmarked. And of course, as a property investor, potentially into the future, the reference point of the CBD is no longer going to be the only form of logic. We're going to distribute our logic around employment clusters, innovation hubs, places where work and smart work is being done. So it is interesting to comprehend that all our cities have different areas where there is growth in employment. And for us property investors, we always need tenants, right? We're always gonna need jobs near what we do. And often what is taught in property economics is the idea of pie, population, infrastructure, and employment or economics. Economics is a big principle of real estate. And certainly I think from a property investor's point of view, as most property investors like to spend $40,0, $50,0, $60,0, 700000 dollars There are really sort of two choices now when it comes to acquiring assets to build wealth. One choice is to go to the regional, cheaper, smaller communities. The second choice is to study what I call distributed urbanisation. The idea that we can still buy in Brisbane, we've just got to now rethink where an employment cluster is and where an employment cluster is going to grow And if we own real estate within 10 minutes of that, we're surely going to do very well. And of course, surely going to get a tenant. So all is not lost, that is for sure. I think real estate is transforming and a future trend is definitely many people won't be able to actually ever afford real estate and get into the property market, particularly those slow skilled workers, level five, level four Skilled workers within the economy. So, for us property investors, this is uh, kind of an evolution that potentially we are going to have to pivot to other parts of bigger cities to understand them in different ways, to understand there is the idea of this distributed urbanism. I think it's really, really awesome because watching the best pockets of the real estate market disappear and grow exponentially in value. I know I've helped so many people buy in those pockets. So what next? Potentially pivoting to new frontiers within the same city using the same logic, but as the best areas disappear, we just simply need to evolve. So the first future trend for me, a big pillar of being future ready when it comes to owning real estate, is understanding distributed urbanism. We don't want to actually own real estate in a pocket of our city, which has no connection to living this perfect 20-minute lifestyle. We don't want to own real estate, for example, in Melbourne, just using Melbourne as an example, because I recently did a show on Melbourne and you may have listened to that, so hopefully you're learning more about potentially that city. We don't want to buy in a pocket of Melbourne which uh, which is too far away from an employment cluster. We want to be close enough to one of these major employment clusters. As such, we're going to get a result. And of course, many cities, many people go to the edge of the city or to a weird suburb and it has no mobility. People can't get around. It's cut off. From employment. When you cut off your tenant from employment, you get a lower yield and a lower overall outcome to end up on passive income. So I think this stuff's really important. You're going to learn some terminologies today that I want you to write them down. I want you to understand, am I buying in distributed urbanism or am I just buying real estate? It's a big conversation piece. And of course, if you're buying in the best parts of the city, location, 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 you're probably already getting that. But if you're pivoting to a more affordable pocket of Brisbane or the Gold Coast or Melbourne or Hobart or wherever it may be, you need to understand that employment is still a thing. The idea that everyone's going to work from home, it's its uh, evolving, but it's not how cities will actually grow into the future. Remember, we literally see at a global level 3 million people a week move to cities. By 2050, 68% of the world is going to live in an urban city area. So how valuable is the real estate closer to the jobs? Of course it's going to be valuable. So my tip for property investors is to stick to pie. Pie. Stick to the idea we want to be where the population is going to grow the most. We want to be where the government's spending money on infrastructure and we want to be close to the employment nodes because that's where people are guaranteed to work. It's really, really important. I would not fall into the trap of this. uh, Everyone's, um, you know, uh, buying real estate in weirdo places and going to work on their laptop. Absolutely don't do it. If you're going to choose less expensive property from the A-grade locations, use the context of distributed urbanisation. Hey, the next terminology I think is important for future-proofing real estate is contemporary mixed use. Yes, I'm using some big words today, so hopefully uh, you're writing them down. Contemporary mixed use. Now, this is interesting for me. I help a lot of people follow the idea of contemporary mixed-use real estate. The idea around contemporary mixed-use comes from commercial real estate. Commercial real estate, of course, over the many, many decades has been high-yielding and high-growing. It has been formidable for building wealth for many. The challenge for the average Joe with commercial real estate is it's far more sophisticated than residential. Uh, To borrow money on commercial real estate, quite often you need a 40% deposit, your loan terms are 15 years, you can be margin called from the bank, you've got to have a good lawyer, you've got to be able to set up your company uh, trust structures, you've got to be uh, willing to do rent abatements, um, you've got to be all across legislation around you know, fire protection, your insurances are big. So for the average investor, uh, the idea of mixed-use commercial is is just not a thing, right? Sure, many people with a few bucks can get into the commercial space and it is a great space. But for the average Joe who's just trying to get to the end of their life and live the width of it, not the length of it, and end up, say, with $100,000 coming in in passive, contemporary mixed use is a really good way to get ahead. And it's something I've been sort of helping people understand for quite a while, that in real estate, quite often, there is a couple of forms of making money. The first form, of course, is capital growth. And for many investors, that's ultimately what they need uh, to get ahead, They need large amounts of growth to come into their portfolio so they are are controlling more wealth. In other words, they can uh, create growth and then use the equity they create to potentially buy a few more properties, get more capital into the market, therefore owning more future income. One way I teach owning real estate is contemporary mixed use. The idea that today we live in a very different world than, say, a single-use economy of real estate, which was more common in, say, 1985. In other words, what if you could buy real estate today that was a great home, a great townhouse, a great apartment, which was designed around capital growth, and when you transition to an older state where you want income, you can activate income from that same growth asset. See, not a lot of real estate in the real estate marketplace, and we have 8 million dwellings here in Australia alone, is contemporary mixed use. So contemporary mixed use is the idea that your real estate is in a location that allows you to manipulate the rental return of the asset. And as such, you create almost like a second use of the asset. Now, the best example of contemporary mixed use, and I use the word contemporary because I think it's about the today and about the future, not necessarily about the past. One version of contemporary mixed use is at, uh, in its simplest form, and I'll use it on the, this podcast to explain it, is having a granny flat. Obviously, you've got two uses for the one piece of property. You've got a dual income stream, one coming out of a granny flat, one coming out of the house. You've created a multi-use or mixed use from the one asset. Obviously, you can get some capital growth from the asset, but ultimately, when it comes to using income from the asset, you've got two income streams. One of the challenges with Granny Flats is in many local government areas, they are designed for multi-generational families. They are not designed to be rented to two different people. So many property investors have been caught out with that. I know, for example, in the Morton Bay Council, many property investors bought in Morton Bay, Brisbane, hoping to do a dual income strategy, and the council has forbidden it unless you're renting to the same family. So contemporary mixed use is something that is absolutely evolving. And personally, I prefer contemporary mixed use around growth strategies, which end up on becoming an income strategy later in life around the shared economy. I'm a big believer in, for example, buying a growth property that you can Airbnb. I Airbnb many of my properties and have done, for many many uh, years and the income is just absolutely so much stronger than the weekly rental market. Do I sometimes use the weekly rental market? That is my first use. My second use is the Airbnb market. Not every property is suitable for that of the eight million properties in Australia. Of course other ways to create a contemporary mixed use going from a capital growth strategy with the same asset, turning it into an income property, is things like owning real estate which can be furnished, can be rented room by room, is suitable for shared tenancy, is almost like uh, capable of uh, being a glorified... Um, a glorified... Bo- glo- uh, bo- you know, dorm house, but is fundamentally straight residential. So, obviously, the overseas student market um, is not in Australia at the moment. But, again, there normally is, 99 years out of 100, a great contemporary mixed use buying next to universities and renting rooms out individually. Again, you might have a great growth property, but you can create an even better income property from that same growth property by being creative with the rental returns on the assets. And we've seen this typically around universities where quite often I've coached people to um, you know, rent room by room because you fundamentally can double your rent. Now, you can't do that in areas that are not near for example, in that example, a university. So again, the idea of contemporary mixed use is is a good one. And for many people today who really will be challenged to end up on 10 or 20 properties, it's just not going to happen because lending is, is a lot harder than it once was. I'm a big believer in the idea of contemporary mixed use. I'm a big believer in the idea that You buy an asset, yes, today it's growth, yes, today you rent it normally. The day you want to change from growth and live off income, you flip the switch, you transform the asset. You've made enough growth now, now you need the income. Your $20,000 a year in rent all of a sudden goes to $60,000 a year in rent because it is a good short-term asset. It does qualify for airbnb it is something of interest to the airbnb consumer and i use the word airbnb obviously airbnb is just a platform but for me it's also the idea of this shared economy paying you a higher dividend for your asset than what you would get in the normal marketplace so i'm a big believer in it um i've built a portfolio personally around much of the idea around contemporary mixed use that really income is what uh, my portfolio is about um capital growth uh, is something i personally don't need anymore but uh today um i i probably built my portfolio in a different era where i banks would lend you anything you'd walk into the bank you'd walk out with a million bucks today that's very difficult so I'm a big believer in a future trend is to control the contemporary mixed-use assets within the real estate marketplace. Probably the next term I think is really important to understand is owning evolutionary real estate. Yes, evolutionary. Now, within real estate, there are sectors within the real estate economy of groups, right? So you've got first home buyers, you've got downsizers, upgraders, you've got investors. They all want different things at different times of their life cycle. And for me, I think it's you know really really important if you can own an asset which really does link to basically all of them at some point. In other words, it evolves. You might buy it as a property as an investor and the first group that really it mirrors is that first home buyer or first entrant into the market. As the asset evolves, it is something that upgraders ultimately want. And as the asset becomes uh, older, even downsizers potentially want it. Evolutionary real estate is the idea that it relates to people. And over a gradual period of time it continues to relate to people and i think one of the biggest challenges for real estate investors at the moment is a lot of real estate is not evolutionary it is not evolving as our consumer trends evolve and i think probably to sum it up best is the youthquake of millennials millennials are now the biggest group in society and whether they're upgrading, downsizing, whether they're uh, buying their first home, which many of them are, or whether they're rent investing, a lot of them are absolutely uh, a you know looking for a different dynamic around real estate. And real estate, which has not evolved for this creature known as the millennial, potentially is going to continue to decay in value decay in rental value and just not be something that ultimately is evolving. And, you know, I talk about this a lot with many people. Um, I swap notes on email with all sorts of people who are property owners. One of the frustrating things I see a lot is now, you know, some of the much older stock that is just not speaking to millennials, it hasn't evolved, is struggling. You know, Today, you know, there are bathrooms without, um, you know, extractor fans. I mean, like simple things like that, that you think, well, I could just put in an extractor fan, but then, you know, the strata won't allow it. And um, that stuff is starting to cost people a lot of money. It is not uh, keeping up with future economics fundamentally. Now the millennials are an interesting breed and when we look at Australia's society right now the biggest group in Australia is indeed the millennial. I think the average age of an Australian right now according to the last census is around 37 years of age and of course people make the most money they're ever going to make uh, typically by around age 44. So this millennial group is worth understanding. What Trends they're interested in is particularly of interest to me, and again, uh, more mirroring probably what they want right now is going to mean what you own is going to go the distance during their lifetime. So, a lot of people perhaps are buying real estate which was uh, means a lot to someone who's 70 years of age today, in other words. When that person was 30, they're now 70. Um, real estate, you know, was simple. It was one bathroom. It was, you know, uh, three bedrooms. It was a little nook kitchen. Today, a millennial is is not looking for that experience. And when that millennial is 70 years of age, well, what are they used to as a consumer is probably of more interest to me because. I know that uh, as I age, I need to mirror my assets to the the future uh, tenants of tomorrow, not necessarily real estate from yesteryear. So these millennials, you know, they sort of were born between 1980 and 2000. They have a different hierarchy of needs to to potentially you and me, right? I was. I'm a Gen X, and you know, I man, I can remember going to work. My first job in in uh, real estate, my first real job in real estate, um, man. Like people smoked in the office. Like we were sitting in the in the 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 local you know corner um, shopkeeper office that many realtors have, and everyone was having darts. I mean, we were like, yeah people put their feet up on the chair and smoke a ciggy and have a chat over the phone that was that was like just in the 90s right I remember going to pubs and you'd get emphysema I remember flying to London on a JAL airline and mate there must have been 300 Japanese smoking cigarettes on the plane like you would even smokers would go to the non-smoking section because it was so bloody hostile. The hierarchy of needs today is completely different to year, right? And uh, for example, today many millennials don't even think about um, uh, owning a car. And that is that is bananas, right? Um, we are now seeing millennials even think about wellness and, and the green economy. They put a lot of more importance on uh, certainly different things to potentially us, um, you know, VB drinking, you know, cigarette smoking, exes and also the baby boomers, right? Um, you know, I also work in the retail section of real estate. I've been involved in uh, retail real estate to home buyers for, for six, seven years now where literally I observe what is really, really happening in in some of the home buyer section of the market. And what I find quite fascinating is many millennials actually um, look at the price of real estate and particularly if it's pre-construction, quite often ask if um, they can remove the car space from, from the real estate. They don't need the car space. Why are they buying the car space? It's quite fascinating to see, again, this idea of evolutionary real estate and being capable of owning real estate evolving with the biggest group that is currently in society, which is the millennial. So definitely different hierarchy of needs, right? Millennials are all um, capable of earning good money, um, a highly skilled group of individuals. Many of them um, are open to... um, really the economy of tomorrow and again like I went to work my first job with everyone was smoking ciggies that's a complete opposite of the millennial culture you know they're uh, very much into well-being sustainability um, and if you do some research on the millennials you'll find that uh, really a lot of them are absolutely um, into healthiness into into the idea of living um in you know a a a nice minimalistic place and i think this is the most fascinating thing and i i have talked about this before i think the hotelification of real estate is a thing right that today some of the best real estate achieving the best values in uh, property as property investments are actually almost like really beautiful little pads which are in some respects, like hotels. And even for houses and townhouses, they've become sort of like these little sub-luxury investments that people are owning. And uh, the design levels within the new economy are just quite nice. So uh, a lot of society is responding to this. A lot of the millennials are responding to it. A lot of the downsizers are responding to it that comfort is something people are going to pay more for. And you think about how real estate really works. Real estate really works that people go to an open home and if more people like that property and it makes them uh, feel and they're attracted to that property, they're going to pay more for it. And so property investors sometimes run off in some weird directions when it comes to asset building. They'll buy something because it's cheap or they'll justify some sort of logic around price um, because uh, they, they have this kind of logic that price is the most important thing. And that's not necessarily the case, right? I think one of the big things we all understand about uh, price, if, if you're just buying on price, you potentially don't understand the value proposition of what you're doing, right? So when something has some real tangible value, um, we as property investors potentially should even put ourselves in a position to pay more for it. And without question, I think, you know, the evolutionary side of real estate is something that property investors need to need to comprehend. Is their real estate evolving or is it not? Is it evolving or dying? If you look to your real estate right now, had an honest conversation about what you own. Do you own real estate that is uh, fu- fundamentally keeping up with the standard of evolution or not? That is a critical question for property investors. And I think if people were honest about that, they would find themselves in a phase where potentially the assets they own are not going to evolve over the next 10, 20, 30 years, are too hard to retrofit into the economy of tomorrow. And for many of those best investors, they, know, they now have to go into a phase which I call... Uh, manage and rebuild. See, I think real estate investors put themselves in three sections. Manage, maintain. In other words, they've been able to get through the turbulence of owning real estate and now they are going to just maintain their assets and live off income. Then there's property investors which are in a phase which I call manage, rebuild. They've bought assets, but now they need to probably undo some of those assets, maybe even sell some of those assets and start again and buy new assets. Manage, rebuild. And then there's property investors which are in manage grow. Manage grow is just simply they they only own a couple of properties and they need to get more capital into the marketplace to own more real estate. So it's very interesting understanding these trends. I probably think that a lot of property investors just don't talk about this stuff enough because uh, maybe they're just not exposed to it. Because you know, typically, if you go out in the real estate community on the w- any given weekend, most people are really just focusing um, on what's uh, what they know locally. But generally, you know, potentially what what they know locally is not exactly what the future economy is all about. And again, I think we need to just think about these pillars to be future ready in real estate. First pillar is absolutely distributed urbanism. We want real estate close to employment clusters. Don't forget that. Don't be fooled by uh, the idea that people you know, who love a laptop are going to go live in uh, the boonies. Distributed urbanism is real and it allows us property investors to really you know, uh, own some more real estate in some great, um, great cities, some big cities around Australia which are obviously full of jobs. The second one, contemporary mixed use. The idea that maybe we can only buy three properties so why not choose something that can be a hybrid into the future that can do two things for us. It can create growth but it can also create cash flow. The third one, the idea of real estate evolving and that we need assets that are evolutionary, that evolve with people, that evolve with a genre of uh, of demographic. And I'm a big believer of evolving um, with, uh, with the millennial. Um, I'm also a big believer of evolving with the downsizer. And for me, the most undersupplied real estate in Australia is three bedroom apartments. And I've been buying them because I am evolving with the downsizer community. A little bit more expensive than the average property for investors. I've been amalgamating. I've been putting a two-bedroom and a one-bedroom together and shoving them together to make three bedrooms. It's over a million dollars, so I won't bore you with it, but absolutely uh, the idea of evolving with real estate is important. Most recent property I bought is all about evolution. It is all about Uh, the idea that technology is evolving. Uh, The most recent property I bought literally um, has got, uh, you know, electric power car charger. It's got um, solar. It's uh, an eight-star thermally efficient property. It's designed to weather the storm of climate change, an evolutionary piece of real estate. A lot of property investors aren't even in this logic. They're not even thinking like this. What does that actually mean tangibly? Most property investors in Australia today are absolutely sitting on a lemon that they're going to have to sell off and rebuild their portfolio. It's as simple as that. Because real estate is a human sport, right? It is a human sport. And again, I think um, probably the, the next trend is the humanistic side of real estate. Uh, bulletproofing yourself for future trends is understanding that people uh, are humans and humans want stuff and for me I've always been uh, teaching the idea to to my students around the idea of placemaking that certain places just carry more meaning than other places they're interesting an interesting place is worth more in real estate terms and as uh, our cities continue to evolve, as more people uh, continue to populate the planet, as um, our great Australia starts to grow even more populous and by mid-century we want 40 million people, the humanistic suburbs are of interest to me. Suburbs where you know there's a great food experience, a great beach experience, an urban forest experience, an intimate, quirky suburb or space or place which is of value. And again, the humanistic side of things is something that I've taught in this podcast series. Um, If you go to the Pyramid of Livability, you'll learn all about the humanistic side of real estate. It's one of my uh, most recent podcasts. And really the idea that, again, if we can live in this pyramid of livability, if we've got the ability to walk places or cycle places, we're living far more a human experience. And as such, that trend is going to continue to be worth more money into the future. So for me, there are some critical trends. And probably the final trend I think is really important is the idea of, Of innovation hubs Um, when we when we analyze our cities um, we are starting to see a divergence in intellect around people and um, again I think this is so important Um, when we analyze who is making the most money skill level one people are on average you know some people are are pulling over $200,000 a year in skill level one And they are connected to smart parts of our city, smart parts of our economy, smart parts of our business districts. And so if we think about employment clusters where this idea of um, the the economy is transforming to a much more distributed urbanisation, I'm still wanting to invest in the smart sections of that distributed urbanization and again i think for us as property investors um as we have seen over time that you know the smartest place has typically been the cbd areas close to the cbd then have shot up in value uh what is the next area to shoot up in value for me it's innovation hubs Absolutely innovation hubs. And this is where, again, you know, the scientists are, the tech companies are, innovation hubs to me are absolutely going to be critical places to own real estate into the future. And part of the reason is um, many of the innovation hubs I've analysed are still very affordable for property investors as opposed to, um, you know, potentially buying close to the CBD, which, you know, is getting more expensive, right? Right. So for me, a critical place um, to own real estate now is without question the idea that smart economics is unfolding and where the smart people want to live and how close they are to innovation hubs, whether it be the CBD, whether it be alternative innovation hubs is something that I think is a massive trend. I think absolutely that uh, it's, it's so important To be future ready for real estate but also being part of that dialogue around being future ready is having tenants that are also future ready in other words they're designed for the economy of tomorrow they're not designed for something that is going to disappear hey i hope you've enjoyed today's show of the urban property investor um perhaps a little bit of a recap of many things i've talked about Hopefully, you're picking up some good insights now to start making some quality decisions when it comes to what you own, where you're investing, and how to become a property investor. Hey, thanks for tuning in. Um, If you feel like leaving me a review, you're more than welcome to. I'll catch you next time on the next episode of The Urban Property Investor. Thanks for tuning in to The Urban Property Investor. To never miss an episode, make sure you subscribe to the podcast on your favorite app or on YouTube. And I would love it if you could give the show a rating and share it with your friends and family. In between episodes, you can always keep in touch with me by connecting on social media over Facebook, Instagram, or LinkedIn. Until we meet again on the next episode of the Urban Property Investor, take care and bye for now.